You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. We've been talking about survival tools for the follower of Christ, the believer in the middle of a what we would call kind of a spiritual wilderness because it seems like in our day we're in a spiritual wilderness and we, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul as he's talking to this church at Corinth and Corinth was kind of a problem church they had a lot of issues and so Paul is giving them some good counsel and I believe some good tools for you and I he says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. And if you have it open, if you're there, say amen. Amen. That wasn't very good. So let's work on that again. If you have it and you're there, say amen. 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 Be on your guard. And we talked about that. We spent a couple of weeks talking about what he meant there. Paul said, be on your guard, be alert, be vigilant. Uh, we've got an enemy. We've got an adversary. He's a spiritual enemy, he's Satan, he's Diabolos, he's the devil, slanderer, accuser of the brethren, father of lies. He works hard to trip you and I up. So Paul said, listen, every day you get up, be alert, be vigilant, you know, be ready, be on your guard. Then watch what Paul says here, and this is where we're going to be today. Stand firm in the faith. Say that to your neighbor, neighbor stand firm in the faith. Now say it like you really mean it. Amen. Stand firm in the faith. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. And look at the next verse there. Do everything in what? Do everything in love. Let me pray again. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Cleanse me, Lord, of any thought, deed, word. Wash me in your blood. Use me, dear Lord, today as a tool in your hand. And we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. There was an, uh, an Italian man, and I'm trying to get my notes here apart. There was an Italian man. He had uh, $106 in his account. He said that he had sold his dog. He said things were so bad. He had a high kind of high pedigree dog. He sold his dog, and he said he had a car, Eric, that was worth, he had paid $40 for this old clunker of a car, and he said it had blown up. He went to a tryout for a movie, and the producer just told him that he did not fit the part, and he had done, alleged he did what John Grisham did, John Grisham, a young lawyer, wrote a time to kill on a legal pad sitting in dead time while he was sitting in a courtroom as a lawyer. This Italian said that he had been writing on just a legal pad a script of kind of a movie that had kind of been going around in his head about an Italian boxer that fights the world heavyweight champion. He said things couldn't be much worse in his life and the producer looked at him and said, man, you just don't fit the part, and I'm sorry. And as he's walking away, he said to the producer, he said, hey, I've been working on this script. I don't know if you can use it or not, but I'd love for you to look at it. 
and he, and he handed this legal pad, just this stuff written out, and he, and he walked out. His name was Sylvester Stallone, and that script was the movie we now know as Rocky. There was a 10-year-old African-American kid growing up in a single mom home. I can't remember whether he said his mom had remarried or whether it was her boyfriend. This 10-year-old African-American kid said that his mom was beat senselessly, mercilessly, just literally was in a very abusive relationship. He said his mom would be beaten so often that she would wear sunglasses in the house because she didn't want the children to see it. This African-American said at the age of 10, his mom was being beaten senseless. And he was so angry because he was a little kid and he was so angry and he went out into the garage. He had asked his mom, he said, Mom, would you buy me a deck of cards? His mom was a godly woman. She said, I'll never, I'll never buy you cards because I don't like gambling and we're people of God. Well, he ended up getting a deck of cards. He went out into the garage. He picked up those cards. He pulled up a card. It said seven. He threw it down in anger. Ten-year-old kid, because he had walked out of a house where his mom was being beaten. And he dropped down and he gave seven push-ups. He pulled another card. It was a jack. A face card was ten push-ups. And as a ten-year-old boy, ten push-ups. He pulled up a joker. It twenty push-ups. And he threw it down and he gave 20 push-ups, and from the age of 10, he began to do push-up after push-up, going through 52 cards. He went on to play for the University of Miami. It was a hurricane. He was given the last, he was given the last scholarship they had at Miami. He said, I had one pair of blue jeans for two years in college. He said, I didn't have anything. 2018, 2018, number 52 of the Baltimore Ravens was nominated and placed in the Hall of Fame. My friend, I would challenge every young man, every dad to listen to the testimony of Ray Lewis as he received the Hall of Fame. He preached, he preached for 34 minutes. Unbelievable, unbelievable testimony. These are men and women. In fact, Ray Lewis said this from the podium as his mom sat through this presentation. She just wept. If you look at this mom, she's just weeping now. She's seeing her son nominated into the Hall of Fame, one of the legends of the NFL. He looked at his mom and he said, Mom, I made you a promise I made you a promise that no man would ever lay a hand on you again. And he said, I kept that promise. And his mom sat there weeping, tears streaming, because anybody that knows Ray Lewis, he can knock a man's head off. Ben Roethlisberger is one of the big quarterbacks, one of the big men, Pittsburgh Steelers. Ben is a big man. He said that when he goes to Pittsburgh to play the Steelers, he loves it. When the Ravens come into that stadium, he said, I look over at Ben and nod. 
He said, me and Ben look at each other and nod at one another. And somebody asked him, said, how do you hit a quarterback that big? He said, I hit him with everything in me. A godly Christian man. Now, I tell you the story of these two men because these men are what I would define as firm, strong. And there's two points to this. Number one, Paul says here, it's an imperative, it's a command. He says, be firm. He defines a character or a quality that should be in, hey listen, it should be in every man or woman. Be firm. Adrian Rogers said this of a dad. He said a dad ought to be a man who is fair, but he's firm. That's a quality. Let me read to you. As an adjective, firm is defined as having a solid, almost unyielding surface or structure. Listen to this. Strongly felt and unlikely to change as an adverb in a resolute or determined manner. I remember when Sheila and I, we were living in England. I was pastoring there in England and we were looking at the coat of arms. And so I was curious. I thought Parker. And so we pulled up the coat of arms for Parker and we're sitting in this little port town down in southern England and looking through this book and when I see the coat of arms, it says these words, Parker, one who is not easily swayed, one who's not easily, one who's resolute, determined, and uh, unyielding. And Sheila leaned over and she said, that means hard-headed. You know, sometimes as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you and I need to be men and women that have strong, strong feelings in some things that we're just unlikely to change. And so no wonder Paul raises this trait to the very core of a, of a warrior, a follower of Christ, as a man or woman who's firm in the faith. I love that. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's a critical component. It's a resolution. I was talking to a man, counseling a man, Friday, a man that probably makes six-figure salary. And as I finished talking to him, I put my hand on his shoulder and I looked him in the eye and I said, you've got to fight. You've got to fight. You've got to stand in faith and strong and you've got a daughter and you've got to fight to overpower this and to stand against it. You've got to fight. That's what it means here. It's what Paul was talking about. Strongly felt, unlikely to change. Let me ask you something. Are there principles and convictions and beliefs in your life that you basically say to people, these are strongly felt, strongly held, and I can tell you this much, I'm probably not going to change. Do you have some convictions, spiritual principles that so govern your life that you just simply say these are strongly felt, they're unlikely to change? Just not going to change. Listen to this question. Are there some things in your life, belief, principles, convictions that are strongly felt and unlikely to change? Listen, parent, are you, with that in mind, are you predictable? Dad, Mom, let me ask you something. Are you predictable? What do you mean by that? Let me, let me read to you. Are you guided by spiritual truths and principles of integrity? 
Are you guided by a commitment to the Word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit to the degree that when your children ask something contrary to that, they already know the answer? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? In other words, as a parent, as a mom and dad, are you predictable? Let me give you an example. Is there some things in your life, if there's some beliefs as in your family that when a friend of one of your kids says, hey, why don't you go ask your dad if you can, and your, kid, and your son or daughter goes, <laughs> ain't no need asking that. I can tell you already what my mama's going to say. I can tell you already what, what dad's going to say. They ain't even don't need me even going there. Because I already know. Are you predictable? Are there qualities and traits and principles of integrity? Are there spiritual truths that are so ingrained in your soul that everybody knows it and they know they ain't no need even asking you? Does your employer know that? Does a man or woman that you're married to, do they know that? Extended family, do they know that? Do your neighbors know it? Does the community know it? There's just some things, hey, they don't need asking Belle Russell. I can tell you what she's going to say. You see, that's what it means here, and that's what Paul was talking about, being firm. Let me, I want you to listen, parent. What I mean here is, as a mom or dad, you have raised your children with boundaries. Okay? Listen, Proverbs 22, 6 says what? Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. The word train up means this. You give a child boundaries. You give them perimeters. You basically hedge them in and you point them in the direction that you want them to go. Does that make sense? So you give children boundaries, and those boundaries are also kind of corralling them in the direction that you want them to go. Does that make sense? Now, let me tell you what I meant a moment ago when you're predictable. Your children understand those boundaries so well that when they ask you, or a friend, or a peer, or somebody says, hey, can you do this, and they know it's outside those boundaries, they know, hey, I can tell you already, that ain't going to happen. Mom, Dad, they're going to tell me, no, I can't do that. You ever sometimes want to get out of having to do something that your friends are trying to pressure you to do, so you blame your mom and dad? My kids got even good at that. Hey, can you, uh, well, well, at least, hey, listen, well, at least go ask. I mean, it ain't going to hurt to ask. Go ask. They go around the corner, act like they're talking to mom and dad, and come back and say, they said, I couldn't do it. You know, it's a quality. It's a quality we need in this nation. I tell you, I challenge you to listen to Ray Lewis in his Hall of Fame speech. Because from 30, hey, listen, this man is massive. This man is a legend in the NFL. This man is feared by offensives, uh, quarterbacks, and fullbacks, and running backs. He's just massive. His, listen, for nearly 35 minutes, he preached the gospel. He talked about love. He talked about family. His four children were seated across that 
front row there. His wife stood with him at a certain point. And at one point he said, I still kiss my children, hug them. He said, it's nothing for me as a dad to kiss them right on the mouth. And his two sons, big old good-looking young men, they said, that ain't going to happen. Even one of his daughters said, mm-mm. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I love my family. Nuclear family, firm, strong. Men, are you firm? Young men, are you young men of faith? Firm, strong. You know what? Let me tell you something. I was thinking about this. I've never had this happen in nearly 65 years of life. Never had it happen in ministry. And I do a lot of counseling. Done a lot of counseling this week. Let me tell you what has never happened. I have never had a woman look at me and say, well, I tell you, the reason I love him is he has no backbone at all. He is a spineless wimp. He has no backbone at all. And I just love him so much, I just want to follow him through life. Never had that happen. We had a missionary one time that went to another missionary's home and Spent a few days there. When he came back, Sheila was already laughing. When he came back, he walked into my house and he said, Man, let's take up an offering and buy that man a backbone. You see, it's a quality that we need. You know, the word immutable is a theological term. It means when we say God is immutable, it means God is unchanging. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't you love that? Don't you love people that are just predictable? You just know where they stand. There's, you know, they don't sit and hem haul back and forth. You just know who they are, what they believe, where they stand, and they're that kind of man or woman. They're refreshing in our world. I wrote this down. The world may think God changed his mind on adultery, live-in relationships, homosexuality, killing the unborn. God may, they may, the world may think God changed his mind about gossip, gluttony, greed, lying, but he hasn't. His word, like his character, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Teach your children, listen, when you face whatever decision, this is your final authority. It's how you govern your life. You ever try to talk God into something? God, I know it may not be right to ask this. And I know this is probably wrong, and I know your Bible says it's wrong, but God, if there's any way possible, would you just make an exception for me? You know how many people try to talk God into something? And you know what God says? I can't even believe you're asking for that. You ever, you ever, as a parent, I remember my mom and dad, if you got brave enough to ask something that you knew was outside the boundaries and you knew they weren't going to bend on and you dared to go ask them anyway because a friend said, go ask him, go ask him. And so you inch up there. Dad, can I? And your dad looks and says, son, I can't even believe you asked me that. You already know the answer to that. You know, I think sometimes God would say that to you and I as believers. You know what I said about that. I haven't changed my mind. Well, well God, everybody else is doing it. You ever tell people like that? 
I remember one time, life-changing moment. We were in a 1962, I think it was a 62 Ford Galaxy. It had the kind had the big wings on it, you know, back in the 60s. Jerry, you're probably old enough you remember that. We're riding along there, and my older sister is in one of those discussions with my dad. Her friends are doing something. Dad, can we, can, can I, can I uh, and, and she starts giving her argument. And I'll never forget my dad. My dad kind of looked at her like he was surprised. He said, no, you can't do that. And then she made this statement. You ever say this? Well, everybody else is doing it. Hey, that, that gives real credibility there. Boy, that really sways God. Well, God, the whole culture and society is doing it. It must be all right now. And I'll never forget, she said, Dad, everybody else is doing it. I'll never forget what my dad said. My dad cussed. He turned around and he said, I, he said, if everybody was eating and he just said a vulgar word, profanity, it was a doo-doo, but it was a lot worse word. And it was even worse than crap. And you may say, well, why do you say that? Because, listen, I was a seven-year-old kid sitting in that red car, sitting in that back seat. I never forgot that conversation because this engineer from NASA, this one that was a brilliant mind, basically said to my sister and was already saying to me, don't go there, don't ask that, and hey, the argument, everybody else is doing it, doesn't care, that doesn't give a dime's worth of difference, make a dime's worth of difference to me. Paul said, be firm. Be firm where? What does he say? In the faith. Now, I'll close in a moment, but look at Philippians. Take a right. Now, I'm not ready to close yet, so Jeffrey, don't sneak out here. Philippians chapter, look at this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Watch this. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he said, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you, listen to this, in the NIV, stand firm in one spirit, contending. That means fighting as one man for what? For the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Man, don't you love that? You know what Paul was saying to the church at Philippi? I want you to stand firm in the faith, contending for the gospel. That's it. Hey, let me tell you something. I sat with, Sheila and I were sitting this morning, drinking a cup of coffee, and I said these words to her, and I don't say them to you now scaring you, but I'm 65 years old, and I've been in the ministry about 40 years. I've been a missionary, I've been a chaplain in the army, and I've, I've served in ministry. Let me tell you, I looked at my wife with all the seriousness of the world. Everybody listen, every child listen. I made this statement to her. Sheila, for the first time, I truly believe we could be living in the last days. Hey, the Sunday after the rapture of the church, this church will be packed to overflowing. And they'll find somebody to stand here. 
but me and her, we won't be here. Telling you the truth. Hey, ESPN will carry a story. Ray Lewis is gone. Can't find him. Why? Because unashamedly receiving the Hall of Fame with the legends and in an entire stadium of people, he preached the gospel. Are you firm in the faith? Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, for now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15, so then brothers stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. What is Paul saying? It is your responsibility and my responsibility to contend and protect the faith. We're teaching our children what we believe, and it's our responsibility. I wrote this down. It is our responsibility to raise our children to understand the Word of God and to protect its integrity. Yesterday, I was trying to start a fire over at Jeffrey's house, trying to burn a pile of brush, uh, and as I was working, I couldn't get that thing to crank up at all, no matter what I did. Alicia happened to come over there and I said, Alicia, this is just like some churches and just like some church members. They never catch fire. My little grandson, one of my grandsons sitting there, Caleb, he said, hey, here's some shells. And I looked at him and I said, Caleb, what does that tell you? I said, why? He said, we're not on the beach. I said, that's right, because the Bible said this earth was covered by a flood. God moved everything around in that flood and never forget it. And my little grandson was registering that in his mind. Your responsibility and my responsibility, the highest calling that we have is to ensure that our children understand the good news of Jesus Christ. They not only believe it, they not only live it, they protect it. When it's under attack, they stand against whatever that attack may be. The world and society and culture and Hollywood and the sports industry and Washington and the United Nations may say this is what we believe and you may have to stand up and say that may be true and the whole world may believe it but I don't. This is what I believe. And my friend it has buried many a dictator, many a political leader, many a political government, it has watched the destruction of many a nation that moved itself away from the tenets of scripture. Except the Lord builds the house, listen to this, you labor in vain. The word vain means it's a waste of time, it's foolish. Except the Lord builds the house, Psalm 127 verse 1, you and I labor in vain. It's of no use at all. John MacArthur said of this verse in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, he said the Corinthians would not take a firm stand on many things. Listen to what he said. He said little was certain, little was absolute, most of it now had become relative and tentative. You know what that means? That simply means this. We live in an environment today that is dangerous for raising families. Why? Because everything's relative. There's no absolutes. What's true for you may not be true for me. What we believe today may not be, may not be true tomorrow. Do you hear that? 
listen to this, they would not take a firm stand on many things. Little was certain and absolute. Much was relative and tentative. In other words, my friend, no, there is no absolute truth. But I want you to know there is. I close with this story. I, I was reading this. I thought it was interesting. It said, in, in, in the, in, and it was a movie, Into uh, Thin Air. It's about Everest. It said, John, Crow, John Krakauer tells of a harrowing experience climbing Mount Everest. On May 10th, 1996, Krakauer made it to the top. He paused only for a few minutes before heading down. His muscles exhausted, his limbs frozen, his brain deprived of oxygen. As he descended, some clouds drifted up and began to envelop him. Soon, thunder and lightning and a, so a snowstorm threatened to disorient him. But he was close enough to base camp number four to get to the sheltering tents before the full force of the storm hit. Four climbers arrived at the summit shortly before John and did not have time to get to the camp before darkness. The storm caused them to lose their way. Exhausted and lost, they simply lay down to wait out the night. When they awoke in the morning, listen to this, they found they had lain down just one step from a 4,000-foot precipice of the south wall. They had slept the night on a snowy edge of a cliff in the middle of a snowstorm. He went on to make this statement. Our culture can disorient us with the winds of relativism and the darkness of unbelief. Many people are unaware that they sleep on the edge of disaster. The light of the gospel reveals our position and it points to safety. And all God's people said, Amen. When you are navigating this world that we're living in right now, as I told that man Friday, you and I better be in intimate fellowship with a loving Savior who's giving us counsel all along the way. And your role as a parent and your role as a believer and a follower of Christ. Let's pray. You can stand. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you and we love you and we praise you. Lord, you alone are worthy to be praised. Lord, we live in a day, we live in a world, we live in a society right now that just seems literally almost to be writhing in pain and suffering. We live in a day when we hold our Bibles and we look at the absolutes and spiritual principles and truths that have been ingrained in us since we were small children that are now being tested, many times made fun of. And the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. I listened and read the, I listened to the CD, the biography of Neil Armstrong. I listened as he talked about that lunar landing on the moon. The eagle has landed. I listened as he talked about that one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. I wondered whether Neil Armstrong knew you. His mom did. 
but you're never really sure about this astronaut, first one to put a foot on the moon. But I thought to myself, how foolish we look. We land on the moon. We have a telescope that ventures out across our galaxy and our universe. <laughs> and the Bible tells us that this world is far beyond anything we could possibly imagine. People in astronomy tell us. They tell us there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on all our shores. Sometimes when we get filled with pride, we begin to think we're smart only to be reminded in the night sky just like in Africa when I would look and see stars beyond any number I could possibly count when I would see shooting stars more shooting stars in a matter of five minutes than I would see in my entire lifetime and I would only be able to say what is man that thou art mindful of it creator God the Bible said who stretched out the universe whose vastness beyond anything we can comprehend. And yet that same God loves us and sent His Son, Jesus. And His Son took the weight of the world's sin, put it on His shoulder, carried it to the cross, bled and died and suffered, paid the penalty so that we could be free, so that one day we could stand in His righteousness and not in our sin. And if we will repent of our sin and put our faith trust in Christ. God, you can begin to do something in us that only you can do through the indwelling Holy Spirit. There's some in this room who need to make a decision. There's some who are listening. And this is not the time to gamble with eternity. These days are too serious. It's not the time for mom and dad to toy around and dabble in things they know they don't need to be dabbling in. It's time for us to walk as men and women of Christ, firm in the faith, alert. So, Lord, I pray, dear Lord, whatever decisions need to be made, they'll be made today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today.